and welcome to episode 131 of the Outside Centre Film Podcast. We've got some films to talk about, and boy, we're going to talk about them. We really, really do. Right, starting off with White White Day. Uh, I'm not going to go for the Icelandic. I would normally have a go on it, but what's the point? It's White White Day. It's directed by Hilnau Palmerson, who was in charge of the Outside Centre Film Podcast 2018 Film of the Year, Winter Brothers. Uh, and Paul, you haven't seen that. No. Nope. Uh, that's I'm, I'm quite relieved. So again, you can offer a different perspective. Uh, what I'm about to do, um, and it, because inevitably that film will come up during this review a few times. But before we get to that, I'm going to use the official description to explain what this film is all about. Sometimes, or quite often, I just make it up. But I hear I think the official one's quite interesting. Uh, according to that. Um, which you can Google somewhere. In a remote Icelandic town, an off-duty police chief begins to suspect a local man for having had an affair with his wife, who recently died in a car accident. Gradually, his obsession for finding out the truth accumulates and inevitably begins to endanger himself and his loved ones. This is a story of grief, revenge and unconditional love. Now, that sounds like a cracking little film. However, it bears absolutely no correlation to what actually happens in this movie or how this movie actually goes about things. So let's break, let's break that official description down. Um, an off-duty police chief begins to suspect a local man for having had an affair with his wife. That happens after about an hour, and it's one scene, uh, maybe two at the absolute most, perhaps. Uh, next, gradually his obsession for finding out the truth accumulates and inevitably begins to endanger himself and his loved ones. That doesn't happen. Instead, what happens is that the off-duty police officer spends most of the film looking after his granddaughter. Then, randomly, and I mean randomly, uh, this, this retired police chief attacks two of his fellow ex-colleagues. He takes someone else for a drive. He puts that person in danger. That person ends up in a hole. Uh, <laughs> the granddaughter is never really in danger at any point, nor is anyone else until sometime in the last 15 minutes. Uh, next, a story of grief, revenge and unconditional love. I agree wholeheartedly that it's a story of grief. There's no doubt about that. But it's not a revenge film, since the film only shows him getting revenge with about 15 minutes left. And it's not about unconditional love. It really, really isn't about that. Anyway, I thought that might have been an interesting exercise to do, but there's plenty of other reasons why this film just didn't work for me, Paul. Predominantly because... I mean, and this is when I need your kind of neutral take on things. The reason I enjoyed his previous film so much was because even though it was principally a film about something so small, two brothers working in a quarry, their relationship with a little bit of a female in the middle, sort of, um, I felt at the time we discussed it for the film of the year 2018 episode, it was done with the hand of an auteur that kind of opened everything up to the wider issues, not just in Iceland or Denmark, but also the history of cinema. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... Whereas we haven't got that here. I'm going to be brutally honest, we haven't got that here. Having seen White White Day, and with it a few more things from Winter Brothers that show up repeated, but not in the same context, this film just really, really annoys me. So I am now questioning everything that I ever said about this director and with that film. Like, the, st the reason that things happened in Winter Brothers... It was for a very specific reason with those characters. Like you, you remember the scene in this film, Paul, when there's a montage of all the cast members staring into the camera. Um, but it, no, you, I don't know what you think of that scene here. We'll come on to that in a sec. But for yeah. me, that scene felt completely and utterly unique to Winter Brothers. 
and it makes so much sense. You're in this quarry, you've got things that happen, people die, things happen to other people, and for them all to come back to life in this quarry and be staring down the camera lens, it just made so much sense. You actually get that here, despite the fact that nothing actually happens. So, again, far from it being the hand of an auteur, I just think he found one thing, and now could that be actually in every single film this guy does from now on? And that really, really irritates me. Um, just like um, in there's a little bit of like VHS video stuff, uh, which is clearly a nod to Michael Haneke. Well, he's done that again here, whereas in Winter Brothers, it made a lot... It, well, but with Winter Brothers, it just added to the fabric of the movie. And it, and again, it it opened up the wider issue to Icelandic and, Dan and Danish things, such as military and stuff like that. Here, it just doesn't make any sense at all again. So, you know, White White Day is a massive, massive disappointment to me. Um, but now, over to you, Paul. I want, I want to hear your unique perspective on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a film that was shown at... Uh... Shown at many film festivals, I think it was originally shown in the UK in London, and then it done a travel news so after London in the UK. It's usually Glasgow again, and it was shown there. And everyone said, "No, oh, you need to see this film. You need to see this film." What's it called? What's it called? White White Day. What is it? Is it a thriller drama? And the person who was describing it to me was like, eh, "I'm not really sure." And that's that. That's the 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 thing that I got as well about it. Is it a mystery? Is it a drama? Family drama? Is it a revenge thriller? And I think that's what killed the movie. It didn't know what it wanted to be. So the bit, the so-called revenge, that uh, comes in right at the end. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's going to go, oh God, we forgot about the revenge, and then just stuck it in. Yeah. And it got, it got to a point where it, 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 it got a bit laughable. And, 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 and it, it thought, at this point, I thought, this movie's not great, but it's not terrible, you know. And uh, and yeah, I totally agree. It was definitely on a uh, uh, grief, and uh, and the the guy, I think his name is Inga Mundar, I think his name yep, was. Yeah, that's right. uh, yeah, he 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 would just whatever this because uh, he kept going to a council every so often. He just was not opening up to him. And there is one point in the film where he does open up. Uh, I think his granddaughter get more out of him in one you see one scene right at the end where he says, I'm a monster sometimes and that's more than what the actual guy got. I mean I, I, I think because it just didn't know what type of film it wanted to be, I think that 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 ruined the film for me. I mean uh, the, the only bit I really liked was that the opening scene where you're looking into this was it was it like a, a farmhouse or something he was building? And you see, you see all the the different seasons. Basically, tell you uh, Iceland. No matter what time of the year you go, it's it's absolutely awful. I mean, the, 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 this is passage of time sped times four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it goes through multiple years, and uh, I mean, there's reasons for that. I can get into all that, but uh, I don't feel particularly bothered about doing so. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, no, you, you, I completely agree with everything you've said. Now, I that in itself. I don't mind as much if I hadn't seen Winter Brothers. <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> now, that, that is the problem because the Winter Brothers, you're not 100% sure what's actually going on there. There's, there's like, it spends most of the time with wider issues that maybe even me and Ben admitted may have been completely false and we were just merely adding them to it. But it give, gets you into a frame of mind of what I'm seeing 
why am I seeing it? But actually not minding the puzzle, not minding the challenge of putting the puzzle together because it gives you lots and lots of things to work with. Here, there's nothing to work with. I mean, uh, 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 for me, quite honestly, I think this is very deliberately less of a film than Winter Brothers, made to be less of a film than Winter Brothers because he wanted an easier experience, perhaps. Um, It's just about a man and his grief and how he deals with that grief. And there's nothing wrong with simplicity. Of course there isn't. But you you still have to kind of do a good job. And for me, there isn't a great job done here in any particular way. I didn't find any of the characters particularly likeable. The granddaughter's probably the best character in the whole film. Um, and there are some moments, of course, like I do quite like the meetings with the, with the psychologist, uh, either face to face or via, again, TV. So that, again, back to the Michael Haneke kind of VHS TV thing. And the screens are deliberately kind of old. They're, they are not modern TV screens. They are not modern videos. So again, Michael Haneke loving all day long, which is, which is, you know, appreciated and fine. Yeah. But um, if I was to believe that this guy was an auteur, then I believe there's more to it than this film than I believe there is. Winter Brothers, potentially yes. Here, potentially definitely not. And as much as I loved Winter Brothers, I definitely did not love this. So I'm afraid this director has gone down in my estimations now. Um, now, it's, you know, I shall, we shall have to find a way chatting with Ben about this film because he absolutely loved it. Uh, but clearly it's not either of our films of the week. Therefore, it's no. not going to be part of the conversation in literally uh, two or so months' time uh, in December. So, uh, you know, that's a shame. But I would dearly love to... Well, I, would, I could just text him. <laughs> <laughs> I will actually... Because I text him attacking this film. But I actually never actually quite heard why, why he loved it so... Why he, how he loved yeah. it so much. But it's a shame. Because yeah. a, a, ostensibly, a minimalistic human drama is normally my back. It really, really is. Uh, but not here. Uh, and it's not recommended. What I would recommend people to do is, if they did enjoy White White Day, and they will, and as you say, you know someone that did. I, we both have just mentioned someone who did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then what you'll think of Winter Brothers will blow their minds because there's no doubt in my mind that Winter Brothers is a better film. Uh, but maybe because there's a little bit more going on, maybe some people won't like it as much in terms of the auteur side. Uh, but that'll be interesting. I would strongly, strongly recommend again. Listen to the episode where we talk about Winter Brothers for Film of the Year, uh, 2018, and uh, you know, please do that, and uh, and then go watch Winter Brothers if you can. This is not your place to start with Parmesan. Do I want to see Parmesan's third film? Uh, probably yes, uh, and you know, we'll see where that takes us. But uh, he has gone down in my estimations, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I would also recommend you, Paul, to check out Winter Brothers if you can. Yeah. Because uh, you, you, you you will get a lot more out of it than this, I think. Uh, and again, yeah. there's some odd moments in that that make you kind of question everything and everyone. <laughs> but it, again, once you're in that mindset of wanting to put a puzzle together, that it doesn't really matter what happens in the film after that point. Whereas this, I was never interested from fairly early on, really. Um, I mean, most of the beginning of the film is just like a horse making destructive kind of eating stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and and our, the, the Icelandics do like their horses in the movie. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure whether that was deliberate or whether that was actually a horse that actually just wandered onto set. So, uh, yeah, but, but yeah, not not a great deal going on here, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Cook, fuck, kill. Yeah, what a name. What a name. I mean, the thing is, it, it, I cannot, I'm going to have to put asterisks. 
for the show notes, unfortunately. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's fine. So we're, <laughs> we're off to uh, you like to you like to make me watch these Central European little countries. Say little countries, I'm incredibly patronising. But yeah. in terms of cinema, yes, Slovakia isn't one of the kind of the 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 main players of cinema i think we'd all agree with that yeah just like just like latvia just like lithuania you've made me watch all of these films at least one of us has to so uh tell us all about cook for kill yeah and it's a bit of a change for us uh because we're, the last sort of past episodes we've been doing first time uh yeah. directors this week this time it's sort of more second film and i think the three films today are all or second film for the the, the directors correct it's, yeah. it's a it's a film uh, by a director it's actually the directors of slovakian but it's a czech republic uh, uh co-production movie mira forney is the director's name it was originally shown at uh, venice of last year uh Basically, to show you how, what the movie's like, I always like to look at IMDb just to look at the actors and see. IMDb doesn't even have a synopsis, and the movie's actually out in certain countries next week, I believe. So they don't even have a synopsis on it. So basically, <laughs> uh, it's a man called Jaroslav. Uh, this is the, the synopsis that I did find. I think it was Rotten Tomatoes I had to go to. Uh, Jaroslav was a handsome, seemingly good na- uh, natured uh, son, father, and decent husband, but in fact he is a pathologically jealous of his wife Blanca, very much afraid uh, she will leave him one day. There are three kids. Uh, Jaroslav and the family do not hesitate to employ violence, deceit, and terror against each others, which ultimately leads to a family tragedy. Basically, when you come to a film like this, dysfunctional family, these guys give dysfunctional family a bad name. Uh, it's basically the guys in this film, uh, I don't know what you say, they are a waste of space themselves, they're, they're scum. Basically, <laughs> I mean, it's the only way to describe it, you know what I mean? Uh, his dad, as you see, he's, he's just useless. Uh, he's, he's more interested in telling everyone, you've got to cook a meal, you've got to cook a meal. Uh, what I noticed, it was, uh, noticed was uh, it's Groundhog Day, the, the Bill Murray film, but it's Groundhog Day where sort of cat, they're trying to be smart with a sort of Greek mythology, Greek tragedy. There's one uh, story I think is the story of Cepheus, uh, who, was the, who was punished by the gods because he tried to, I think he tried to deceive Zeus, so they put him in this, uh, I think it was a planet, uh, this planet where he just pushes the rock up the hill, but they deliberately made the rock, once it got to the top of the hill, to fall back down again as well. So they took him to Tartus and they get locked up in the chains and this is where he deceives Zeus. He asked Zeus to show him where the chains, how to do the chains and uh, how, how the chains work. And he, he, he gets him and puts him in. And obviously Hades uh, unlocks him and this is where he punishes him. Uh, there's another part where, uh, where he tries to see how he's loyal to his wife. So he, he says to her, put my dead naked body in the middle of a square, a public square, just to see how loyal she was. I mean, this film is basically, you, you're left with... Uh, did I really like this movie? Type of attitude because of the the, the guys in it. 
because they are just, it's basically, it is definitely Farrelight's son. As you see after, there's a tragic accident, uh, I wouldn't say accident, something happens. So the father uh, brings the son in it, and I think it was the, the daughter, the daughter who was a, I think she was a policewoman, came in and she's sort of saying things to him, and the father's reacting this onto the, the, the son. I mean, it, it is a fun meant to be about domestic violence and uh, violence in the, as in physical and emotional as well. Uh, and they try to be Kafkaesque, and they're calling it a comedy. A comedy is very dark comedy. If it is, I don't actually laugh at any. I, I, I was just like, I was just like, uh, domestic abuse and physical or uh, verbal is not a laughing, laughing thing. I mean, it was very symbolic as well. Uh, obviously, as in the Groundhog Day, what that was was I seen was it was being uh, repetitive, as in because there's there's one point there's another woman comes into it, and you and you see and she's in his place, Jaroslav's place, and uh, so it's showing you it's very symbolic, as in uh, you see it through her eye, you know the the violence that these people have to go through every day and repeat, and it's just traumatic and that. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like actually like this movie. It's this is the worst. Uh, this is the worst film I've seen all year, Paul. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> and I've seen some crackers. I mean, we we all have, but you know, this this is quite honestly the worst. I mean, yeah, when I got irate about the fact that a Lithuanian war film was black and white, you know, stuff, whatever. This yeah. is at this is the worst film of the year for me. It's insipid. Yeah. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. And I'm absolutely left astonished by it, but for all the wrong reasons. Like, I'm not sure. And I mean, in my life, I'm not sure I've witnessed a movie try so, so hard to be dramatic, to be surreal, to be edgy, uh, and therefore thinking it's being original. And yet it fails on all accounts from the very first scene to the last. I mean, I checked out so many times in this movie because I was just going to throw my laptop out the window. (laughs) It's just like utterly dreadful. The performances yeah. are dreadful. The film ve- the film veers between being overplayed and chronically underplayed, uh, and nothing that and that's all the way through. Like the the the, scene, the the death of the mother at the beginning is both overplayed and underplayed at the same time. Like I don't trust anyone's acting ability in this movie, but there are other moments that stick out for me, like the child masturbating in the water with a frog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, fuck off with this. Like, it's not cool. It isn't edgy. Grow up. Like, cinema has grown up since, you know, Cannibal Holocaust and stuff where you cut open a turtle. Like, seriously, we have all moved on. Uh, apart from Tom Six, we've all... <laughs> <laughs> but again, he, even... I, I'd forgive him and I and have forgiven him yeah. for shit that he's done. But, but this, this, I just can't. Like, this, this... this you know, that scene itself, I'm not quite ready to move on from it. The scene of the child in the water, it goes on forever. There are long periods of nothing while this child is in this is in this water. Like, and I'm so sick of directors having these long periods of nothing happen in films. Like the only director that's really ever gotten away with that is Michael Haneker again. And his name's come up far too many times for my liking. Yeah. Like he, the, you know, the, again, I'm going to mention this scene for the 50 millionth time in this podcast history, the table tennis scene, you know, the one that goes on for like seven and a half minutes, like no other director can pull that off apart from him. So stop having this shit happen in movies, please. Like it just doesn't work. Then another scene I want to bring up is when, when whatever, 
remaining members of family exist at a certain point of the film. They all have dinner together. And it's, it's seen that I have no doubt that Mira Fournay is probably so, so, so proud of. Like, if you look at this scene, the scene's perfectly set up. Everyone is in the correct chair. The empty chairs are like different colours, different heights. The clothes that the family are wearing, like, match where they sit. So, you know, she probably took ages setting that film up. And she probably thinks she's done something absolutely fantastic with this scene. Like, she's really, really proud of it. You know, that you see this hierarchical, patriarchal thing, shape, sizes, colours, you know. I literally could, but then, and, and so visually she's done it. But the, the fact is, when you're looking at this, like, you realise you literally couldn't care less about anybody sitting at the dinner table. And the film yeah. gives you no reason to like anybody sitting at that dinner table. So, therefore, if they can't, why should I care? And I'm sorry, but that's the basic of film. You can make it look like, and you can have all these scenes in there that do all these edgy and, and supposedly original and surreal things. But if you can't make me like the people in your movie, then what is the point? And this film literally doesn't want me to like the people in this. It's a cynical piece where I think it's very deliberate that, you know, it's just literally trying to... I, I, again, I'm going to probably alienate all of our Slovakian audience now. <laughs> But uh, I'm sorry, you've probably seen this thinking it's a masterpiece. Join the rest of us, it's not. It, you, and if, I'm afraid if this is what your country is supposed to be best at, then stop making movies, because this is just not good enough. Like, you know, it, basically, I don't care what nationality the film is or what genre it is, who's made it. As long as it isn't Hollywood, it will get an equal chance on this podcast. But this film, with its faux surrealism, amateur hour nonsense, Except, as you've said, Paul, she is not an amateur. In fact, yeah. she's, actually, she's actually this is her third actual film. She's made two films before this, so she's made she she's done three films now, and her her kind of my dog killer, which came out in 2013, was well received at Rotterdam. So it's not as if she hasn't had success before. Um, and that was the um, my dog killer was actually put forward to represent Slovakia for the 2013 Foreign Language Oscar as well. So again. She has a bit of success and a bit of well, a bit of well-received criticism, but there's no excuses for this pitiful piece of shit, Paul. No, no, you're you're totally correct. Uh, it was just like, I mean, it was just that, uh, it was just that. Uh, there's a scene with a jukebox that, that gets so repetitive. Oh and, God, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, and there's one point you see the guy, you hear him laughing, and he, he throws it out the window, and then one point you see him sitting in a in a wheelchair, and I'm like. Right, it's this guy. Am I? Has she uh, been watching uh, like the Keystone Cops or something like that? The old silent movies, where it, where that. I mean, that that was over a hundred years ago. But that scene would have been hilarious, you know. But that 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 was when cinema was just starting. But uh, I just did not get it. And right away in the first scene, uh, the, the the first scene, obviously the boy and that, and then they, those women were just getting so. First scene, I, I was really annoyed with them as well and I went what was the whole point and then you see them again in the supermarket with a fallen Jaroslav uh, around uh, uh, the supermarket I, I'm just thinking is, is this director been was she absolutely starving when she was actually making this movie <laughs> as well and that's just it came in this came in that and then after they decided to have a, a long lunch break and uh, <laughs> and uh, and then and then for, oh we're making a film you know no it was it was right, right away Right away, it, it just it just didn't appeal to me. It, it was there was I was like, what is this film apart from 
the, the two guys in the film are actually nasty pieces of work. And uh, it was very sexualized as well, you know. Yeah. Every, everyone was just wanting to be with everyone, you know. And, and uh, at the beginning, I thought, right, when you seen the gran, uh, the gran, and he pulls the gun out, I thought, it's just say uh, that, uh, no, that Belgian films that we, that, is it dog, dog, dog eat dog or something? Like, you no know, one where the guy pulls out the, the the machine gun and the and the gran, and she has like a heart attack. And them the Belgian movie for years ago. I thought, well, we might been at something and just started. And I'm just like, no, this this movie just went right down after. It was just like, I'm just glad uh, there's forward buttons on uh, video players and that, to, or the Blu Blu-ray players. You know, it, it was it was just it was just. Uh, What's the point? It's the sort of film that they, they fill up film festivals with. They go, right, we need another five or six films just to fill gaps up. We don't really care how bad or good it is. We'll just put it in. We'll just put it in as well. Yeah, it, it, was, just, it was just a waste of space, you know? Really was. But, but, that, but it's also the kind of film that, you would, that people would strive to defend because it's very much kind of deliberately anti-everything else that films do normally. Uh, but to those people, they need to go take a hike. Basically, like I'm sorry, yeah. bad is bad. There is no excuse, no defence. Like again, the just the core basics. The performances are either overacted or underacted. There's yeah. never any stability, and that can work, but not here. And I no. just can't keep stressing it enough. This film does nothing good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, as simple as that. You know, we 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 can get navel gazing ivory tower on this podcast because we take we, we do take a lot a lot of a lot of artistic films, but this is not one of those either. Oh. It really, really isn't. So I don't want to talk about it anymore, and I'm annoyed. Yeah. So <laughs> go away, right? Yeah. However, I, and and what we should say is this: we do often keep lot like, the order relatively random for these things the way we want to talk with films. Knowing how disappointed I was with two of these three films this week, I actually deliberately left the best till last. Um, so we can at least end on a positive note so we can go and enjoy the rest of our day uh, so on we go then to Beanpole uh, Beanpole the, I mean the title itself is filmed the week worthy to be fair Yeah. Uh, but thankfully the film actually matches that uh, so it's basically about two Russian women uh, Ia and Masha uh, two friends who are essentially trying to find their way in a post-war Russia uh, the film is basically based in a medical facility for victims who suffer from both physical uh, debilitations and mental illness too, all as a result of post-war. I mean, Ia herself suffers from a form of PTSD, whilst Masha wants a child, but she's infertile. Um, this film was directed by Kantemir Balagov, who I don't think uh, can, be, can be argued that this guy is the future of Russian cinema. Uh, he's made, this is his second film, He's under the age of 30. Uh, both the films that he's have, have, that have made so far have been well-received at Cannes, uh, including this one. Uh, but this one, as well, also reached the semi-final stage of the foreign language Oscar race. Uh, and for me, Paul, having seen a lot of the foreign language film Oscar race for this year, uh, this is the best of the lot. Uh, so I'm glad it reached the semis, but it should have reached the final, and it should have won the Oscar, purely in terms of the film, because it's excellent to me. Um, you're going to hear me mention Balagov's name quite a lot because, quite frankly, I owe a lot of what's good about this film to him. In complete contrast to the other two films we've talked about this podcast, I'm now going to throw all my praise towards Kantemir Balagov for this. Uh, but first of all, just a general point. Um, I've actually come to the conclusion, Paul, that no one quite does war dramas better than the Russians. Yeah. 
I mean, loads of countries do pretty good ones. Uh, quite a few countries, some countries do very good ones. But for me, I've seen so many Russian war dramas and you can't quite beat them. Um, albeit, you know, they've had an experience of conflict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and therefore they have experience of putting these films together about these conflicts. But that being said, I'm not sure anyone makes them any better. Uh, the way they dress the sets, the way they cast all these people. I mean, you know, that doctor who's in who's in this film most of the time, who almost has like a Hitler quiff going on. It's quite, <laughs> it's quite, it's quite thinning on top. Like, I'm sorry. He was born. Yeah. <laughs> he was born to be a doctor in a post-war Russian drama. Like, then you've got the virgin character, the young boy who uh, who... You meet early on in this film. Now I don't know how the, how they would have approached him about this. You look like a virgin. Please pay a virgin in this movie. <laughs> but again, he looks the part, and I've, yeah. I, that's a horrible thing to say about somebody. But again, the casting, the way they dress the sets. Now, anyway, back to Cantemir Balagov here, because this is a very heavy film. It's an intense film. There are all sorts of things going on here. Uh, but for him to get that through on camera is how much the actors can actually trust him. And there are some incredibly disturbing films in this uh, scenes in this film, Paul, correct? Yeah, correct. But now, the only reason they work and the only reason they come off is because he gets the actors in a place where they feel comfortable to go to some very, very dark places. And it happens all the way through this film, constantly. I mean, the two women perform absolutely fantastically well. But I, I would wager they're older than the director. Like, again, yeah. he's under 30. They are older than him. So for these scenes to happen as they do, there's a death early on, which is gut-wrenching, to be frank. Uh, then there's, a, there's, there's stuff later on about when things eventually move out of the kind of medical facility. Uh, one of the women gets to meet the parents of her new boyfriend. And it, there's just this deathly silence when this happens, because there's obviously questioning, well, OK, who are you? How did you meet my boy? Uh, and is this going to work kind of thing? There's... It's just so weighty. Again, it's so intense all the way through. And yet there's room for humour as well now and again. Uh, but going back to, again, here we go again, back to Kantemir <laughs> Balagov, colour motifs, Paul. Yeah. Now, we're talking about the ABC of filmmaking here and the C would stand for colour. And yet it's a remarkable feat what he does here. There's not a single scene in this two-hour film that doesn't have a bit of red or green in it. Yeah. It, and I mean, the and that's the thing about colours, they can mean whatever you want them to mean. But on the whole, it's well accepted that in movie making terms, red is often either lust or blood and green is is fertility and hope. So now that you've got Masha who wants a child but is infertile, you've got here the mother who kind of would want to be a mother. And yet she's not the most entirely trustworthy and honest people uh, on this to mother Masha's child. The amount of times one one of the two is wearing green, and it and it changes between different scenes. There's even scenes where Masha is wearing green, and then she's wearing red on top of the green. So yeah, and, and and vice versa. So like the fertility is on the inside, but not on the outside, and vice versa because she can't have children. It's just an absolutely extraordinary extraordinary is the only word I can describe it how he plays with colour in this movie and considering that it is, it is one of the ABCs of filmmaking like what, how, how you use colours and the use of colour, how important it is to kind of get points across I haven't seen a film do it for a long long time as good as this or even done it at all 
I mean, I could, I could, I just wish this film was around in my A level kind of study time. <laughs> but I did film studies and stuff, so I could actually write five thousand words on the use of color motifs in this movie. It's just absolutely, again, extraordinary. And before I come over to you, um, this was also not only was this film great uh, in itself, but it also comes off the back of having myself read an interview with the director of The Painted Bird, which we yeah. covered ourselves, didn't we, earlier on in the year, Paul? We did, yeah. We, we got stuff out of it, but I think we both agreed that the black and white added absolutely nothing. Uh, whereas, literally, in this interview with, with Vaclaw, and I, I, and I found it literally because I wanted to read some stuff about The Painted Bird, having seen this colour war film, Bean Pole, uh, even though there's no conflict in it, we should stress, at all, uh, it's all physical, mental stuff, um, he actually mentions the fact that he thinks uh, Vaclaw, the director of The Painted Bird, that if he'd have done The Painted Bird in colour, it would have undermined it. Uh, well, no, basically, completely disagree with that, because what you've got with Beanpole is a film that's all about the colour, and it absolutely does not undermine anything that the characters are going for, it going through, it adds to it, it contributes to it, it embellishes it all. Um, this is a really, really excellent film for me, Paul. Yeah, it's it's. I'm I'm glad you done this one last. It's definitely my film of the week. Uh, film of the week as well. I was so glad when you you told me we were doing it because uh, it was a uh, this movie's uh, just been released by Mubi. Yep. Uh, streaming it's. I think it's it's now available in Blu-ray and DVD. So if you're a collector, I recommend uh, uh, maybe. Uh, Take this one out or get get yourself uh, onto movie. Well, but, uh, uh, for me, as uh, sorry, he, he is the future of Russian cinema, and he is one of the hot shots of European cinema. So I think pro quite probably, I think he might have to be a collected director. Yeah. Uh, presuming film number three goes well, then uh, I see no reason why we shouldn't all be starting to keep a really strong monocle on the career of Kantemir Balagov. Anyway, back over to you. Yeah, and 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 ironically, uh, the end of my notes, I've wrote. Uh, this could be a good film to watch back to back with the Painted Bird, which just came out. This we're doing this over the weekend, the Friday. That it's just came out in the cinema, as well. Both uh, have, uh, as you, you said, I've got things in it are really hard to watch, but that's the whole point of war. There's a lot of hard things and brutal things do happen, and whilst both both of the films are, if you like to say. Uh, slightly post-war, though uh, Painted Birds are a little bit more still during the war, but they're perfect back-to-back -back films. What I liked about it, it was very enlivening about it, was the film, seeing it from a female perspective, in war, a war post-war yeah. film, because usually they're seen through the eyes of the soldiers. So And also, a lot of the, the films over the decades about post-war are all seen from a male perspective, so this was seen from a female perspective and obviously showing the daily struggles that they had and it was the sight that the, the psyches were just absolutely broken as well and uh, I found here uh, obviously you find it I mean the, the opening scene uh, that was just wow what, what is this about and in the opening scene you find out why the film's called Beanpole and you, you find out here it's all about here uh, uh, who she is and I, I got a, a I don't know about you, I feel like she was very childlike. Yeah. Because, yeah. because of the way uh, she just sort of stood there and you, you, you see her uh, having a, a blackout, you know, of uh, the PTSD. And then the way that she sort of follows, follows uh, 
the soldiers to the doctor with the with the Adolf Hitler uh, hairdo. Uh, she was very like, you no, know, that's like very obedient, looking like a sort of childlike, childish type, like obedient. And and then there's one scene when when she eventually uh, unites with Masha. She's uh, uh, you know the way children where they're, 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 they're just feeding you little bits of the truth. They're telling you the whole truth when someone's questioning them. That's another scene. I mean, it, it was a uh, you're right. It was very heartbreaking. I found it really heartbreaking, and and it really hits you unexpectedly. I mean, uh, it's just wow. And uh, but actually, but, things could have gone south from there because yeah. it's, it's a very risky scene, and we're obviously not going to mention anything else about yeah. it. Uh, and it's like, okay, what what does that mean for her? What does it mean for you know all the other characters in this movie? But actually. Because then the film is so green afterwards, it's all about the fertility, literally green, as I've yeah. said. Um, it's sort of, you never want to say that a scene like that is justified because you always have to question when scenes like this happen. I mean, if this particular scene had happened in Cook, Foot, Kill, we would be going absolutely apeshit over it, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, we would be, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but... I mean, I say thankfully, uh, you're not grateful for the scene to happen. You don't want you don't want to really see it in cinema ever because it's just that difficult to watch. But it does make sense, and the the way that the characters go through it, it there's there's some red herrings here and there, and that kind yeah. of thing, and it and it and it's plus and minus, and it's good and it's bad, and it's all these things. Um, at least the sense made sense for the context of the film and the reason this the scene was made in the first place, thankfully follows the logical conclusion that it needs to. Uh, but again, could have gone wrong in the hands of 99% of the directors. Yeah. Um, so, and 99% and, 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 and of the directors uh, maybe wouldn't have known where to have gone after that scene, but uh, Cantamere did. So, yes, but oh my God, what a scene. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even for the opening scene, when it came up saying, you know, the... The state of the nation, you know, that Leningrad opened after the war. Yeah. Uh, it, it gave you the impression uh, Leningrad, which, uh, which is St. Petersburg now, uh, is, uh, the, 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 it gave you an idea that, that this is a, a city exhausted, they're, ri- they're, they're ripped apart, you know, they're, they're just so tired. Uh, and, you know, and, and it, 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 as we know, uh, it's the start of road of recovery, and, and, and if anyone knows history, the Russian history, it's a, a very bumpy, dark, terrifying road that the, the Russian people have <laughs> gone to, you know. To say the least. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what I think was, they were like, Ian and Masha were like uh, yin and yang. They were both showing you each side of a uh, trauma. Ian, obviously, the people at home, Masha, uh, the people, uh, the soldiers, so it was good to show, even though the film is more leaning towards uh, the tr- the trauma of the people who are left behind. What well, it was good that he actually put in a scene of a. Uh, it, it also showed you the side of the soldiers as well. Uh, I'm like you. I, I wrote my notes. I said it's a very thematically rich uh, film, not just in the narrative but also in the, uh, the colour and cinematography. I'm going to mention a mainstream movie, uh, Schindler's List, with the colours, because yeah, yeah, yeah. the opening scene with the little red, the little bits of red. Uh, 
that's what that reminded me of, even though yeah. that was in black and white, this was in colour. But obviously, red and green are two colours that stand out uh, as well. And, and I, I noticed that exact same thing as well. And, and, and it was the cinematography was fantastic, even though it was very minimal, it was very uh, fantastic. And it should be mentioned that Kantemir Balogov, whilst he did it, whilst he, he also wrote the film as well, which is a, a director who also writes, is supremely talented. Uh, and yes, this is a Balogov loving, in case you haven't mentioned or uh, you haven't mentioned it enough already, <laughs> and rightly so. But uh, it should also be said that he actually has done cinematography himself on other movies. Yeah. So yes, somebody he hired somebody else to do the cinematography. But if you've got that in your arsenal as well, you could also work with the. I mean, obviously they work with them anyway closely to get what exactly the look they want to get. It's not as if right you go and you go and cinematographize and I'll go and direct. It doesn't work like that anyway. But you can just tell that Cantemir had more of a hand than a lot of directors would normally do for it, um, which is probably why it is so consistent all the way through. The fertility all the way through, the yeah. lust all the way through, the blood all the way through. It's just, it's just, it's just an incredible film to look at. Never mind everything else that's going on. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, even even the the, the message of the film, it, yeah. it, it was still very gentle tender film as well and it was yeah. very subtle as well but it made you sure uh, there was hope but there was also a lot of uh, darkness as well I mean what annoyed me was when I was reading a lot of the reviews was people saying oh it's like blue the warmest colour the thing it isn't I, I found this film is more towards leaning towards a tortain a carol uh, as in the romance because the romance wasn't very would you say clandestine? You know, it wasn't very blue. Is the blue is the warmest color? Is so overly done. Exactly. Like, it's literally a smack to the face. Con- there's no subtlety. There's no nuance to that film. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's literally people kissing kissing in public twenty four seven. Is what exactly. that movie is. And made made by an Algerian man that probably saw that as an opportunity to, <laughs> to make some porn for himself, basically. Like no, yeah. it, was, it was an okay film. We did it. It was okay. But please. Nothing like this. And actually, you know what else this film reminded me of? The the way that people reacted to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, that, 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 that's the other film I was sort of thinking of as well. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, this wipes the floor with that one as well. Like, exactly. Because, because yeah. there's, this, there's this simmering, again, with the red, the lust, simmering kind of are they, aren't they, between the two women. Uh, and you can't really say, despite the ending that does want to kind of push it towards a certain direction, you can't really say with certainty that that's actually the case. Um, or, you know, it, it certainly feels that there could well be something between the two. And maybe if you kind of assess the whole film as a whole, maybe there is. But there's also enough there to make you question that. Well, bearing in mind that Masha had a boyfriend for a while. Until we yeah. could be, <laughs> so, but, but it's never in your face, you see. It's never in your face. And it, everyone, how everyone reacted to Portrait of Lady on Fire, which we also did, didn't particularly really get on with it. Uh, this again is, is just does that better. So th- th- this just this film does a lot of things better than a lot of other films that make it. That that's the reason it's an excellent film. You know, yes. Yeah. Um, never mind the the stuff we've actually talked about. It, at the end of the day, it can be extremely simple to review a film. Like this film is better than other films. You know, uh, that do similar or not so similar things. It's it's that good. And uh, I love Cantemir Balagov. I don't care how many times I have to say it. <laughs> Uh, and I just need to bookmark him in my life and uh, wait for his next film. He seems to be quite regular. 
sub every two years. So uh, we'll see where we are in 2021, 2022. Not too far away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does it for me? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would even call it a landmark movie because... Could be, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you could consider this movie as an LGBT movie and, and anyone knows about Russia and obviously Vladimir Putin, he sees anyone for the LGBT community as a hindrance. So it, it's amazing that a movie like this actually get released in Russia and, as you said, it was basically two fingers up to Vladimir when it, it was voted uh, on the, the, the Oscars as yep. well you know i mean it, i mean it was a very sympathetic wasn't com- it, it was complicated subtle but it 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 was a fantastic movie very well well crafted, executed i would call it a beautiful movie it was it was a gorgeous movie to watch I, well. I now i'm in the frame of mind where i really have to I mean, we'll do it anyway but you know questioning the academy's choices i mean why yeah. wasn't this on the final list I mean, you know, yes, it may not, it may not have beaten, uh, you know, the winner in the end because yeah. it, it, it was that was that Bong Joon Ho was always going to just do it. I'm afraid it's just the way. That, but you know, th- this, I mean, no, uh, this should have been on that final list. We have seen some other good ones uh, that should have been on the list as well. Uh, but the, the, it's impl- if you're going to put it through to the semis, it must have quote unquote done something wrong for it not to reach the final stage of it. And I can't, I can't tell you what it's done wrong. No, no, it's. I mean, I mean, because I mean, I, I, it's even big budget, and they love big budgets. The Academy, they love it. They yeah. love seeing, they love seeing it spent on, 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 on clothing and set design and all that. And this film's got all that. And actually, as my final point, on that note, we do tend to do a lot of indie cinema on here, and rightly so because we're doing world cinema, and it's important to give those, those voices. Uh, a chamber but um sometimes you know when you do have a big budget and you spend it well is the key spending it on the right things then you get all the cinematic cinematic joy and the cinematic experience that you get uh i would love to see this on blu-ray sharpened in sharp all the colors uh and just all the performances again just to keep forever um yep it's that good, folks. Yeah. It really is. And uh, you can find it, as has been discussed. It's available. So uh, if you don't go and see it, then I'm afraid you've lost out there. Mm. But, uh, right, Paul? Nice yep. to end on a positive note. We should try and do that more often. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as I say, we do keep it random, but I thought not this time. We, we, we deliberately not keep it random. But uh, right, that's it then. So uh, you will be back with me next month, will you not? Yep. You will be. All being will well. Be, yeah. uh, and I will be back in a few weeks with young Ben Woodywist to do some more. So uh, thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you soon.